Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for taking the time to join us for our first check thrust session in 2021. As you're joining, you'll find that uh, just to kind of keep everything moving along, I have right now muted everybody so we don't get any unnecessary sounds for the first half of the conversation. We'll have a special guest and then we'll move into some of the association's efforts, the updates, the work that we're undertaking. So given that uh, we haven't had a chance to, uh, to see each other or talk uh, directly, this is our first opportunity. Wish each of you a happy new year. Uh, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that you blink and it's already the 21st of January. So from the entire team here at the CVAA and to each of you, all the best in 2021. Uh, we will continue to, to work together and get through this uh, COVID element and, uh, and see that our industry rebounds. I want to take the time to say thanks to our sponsor, Airbull. Uh, they're sponsoring this first event. Their sponsorship and support means that we have the opportunity to pursue these conversations, put them out there so that we're all staying connected. So agenda, the topics that we'll cover today. The first, our guest is Brigitte uh, Diogo from uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada. We will talk about COVID-19. Uh, there's a lot to unpack, but we're gonna attempt to do that. We'll talk about the Canadian elements, the US elements, uh, frequently asked questions that have come up, things that we've got clarification on, uh, et cetera. We'll talk about Ottawa. A lot has changed in Ottawa since the beginning of the year. Everything from new ministers, new mandate letters, uh, things that are of importance to us and how that all ties back to a campaign that we're gonna start in 2021. We are BA or we are business aviation, our effort to educate those stakeholders about the importance, the role that our industry plays. And we're seeing, of course, with the rollback of airline schedules, the, uh, the idea that our operators are the ones that are able to reach the communities, our Canadians in remote areas uh, and bring the service that they need. So that's gonna be an important element. So without further delay, I wanted to uh, introduce everyone to Brigitte Diogo. She's the Vice President of Health and Security Infrastructure Brands at the Public Health Agency of Canada. And she agreed to join us to talk a little bit about uh, PHAC's efforts. As you all know, we've, we've engaged uh, with multiple levels of government about this whole COVID response. And I wanna pass the mic over to Brigitte uh, to talk a little bit about a PHAC's view, what they're undertaking, followed by some of the questions that we've got. As we go forward, before we go directly in. I have turned uh, the chat. Any uh, chats will come to us. So if you've got some questions during it, I've got five that I've queued up that are uh, that have come directly from you, our members. Uh, so let's continue and pass the mic over to Brigitte. Over to you. Okay. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, bon après-midi. Um, I'll make my remarks in um, uh, in English, and but uh, happy to take any questions uh, any questions in French? And uh, uh, first of all, uh, my apology for the last uh, uh, invitation prior to the holidays. I was supposed to be here, and as you can imagine, uh, the pace here is uh, is quite uh, relentless. Um, so I joined uh, PHAC uh, last uh, July. Uh, I've been here uh, almost six months now. Um, and uh, one of the uh, key uh, uh, stakeholder and interlocutors that we've had, uh, I've had since uh, joining the agency is certainly the aviation sector. 
uh, and there are many, many things that, uh, uh, in terms of border measures that have been put in place that uh, uh, required uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, contribution and uh, the support of uh, uh, the aviation sector. So one of the things that uh, I am responsible for, I think uh, my title sometimes is uh, pretty opaque, uh, is really about uh, border travel, uh, border management, or the uh, ordering council uh, are done within my, uh, my branch. Um, and uh, all the uh, operations, uh, our presence uh, at the border, the management of the quarantine uh, sites uh, that we have across the country, uh, or some of the, uh, the uh, elements that I deal with. Um, and so, as you know, uh, the uh, uh, orders in council uh, are coming to renewal today, in fact, uh, January 21st. Uh, as you know, we have the three uh, orders in council, uh, the first one on prohibition of entry from uh, the US uh, and uh, the uh, prohibition of entry from countries other than the US. And I think uh, Anthony and I had uh, exchanges before uh, in terms of how these um, uh, OICs uh, uh, apply. Uh, and uh, the, um, uh, the uh, OIC on mandatory uh, isolation and uh, currently uh, that includes as well the pre-departure testing. Uh, so uh, indeed, since uh, January 20, uh, January 7, uh, it is now a requirement uh, to have a pre-departure uh, negative PCR test uh, prior to traveling to uh, to uh, to Canada, uh, and uh, and uh, the all the other requirements uh, remain the same in terms of. Uh, 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 ArriveCan uh, digital submission of uh, ArriveCan information. I would say currently as an agency, we are very much uh, focused on, on my side in terms of uh, uh, looking at um, additional, additional measures, but also the compliance to the quarantine requirement is one that we are putting a lot of effort uh, into. Other sides of the organization are very much involved uh, uh, on the uh, vaccine uh, rollout um, and, um, uh, and, and uh, uh, continue to monitor the, uh, the uh, public health uh, risk uh, overall. Um, I would say that um, pre-departure testing was very much driven by uh, the uh, increased risk uh, due to emerging variants. Uh, so uh, since then, uh, new variants are coming, uh, uh, coming to light. Uh, the latest one is uh, a variant from, uh, from Brazil. So, so a constant uh, requirement for us to take a look at the measures that we have in place uh, and how we are continuing to mitigate the, we mitigate the risk. Uh, there is no question uh, that um, uh, the impact uh, of uh, the pandemic, uh, in particular on the aviation uh, sector uh, and uh, the recovery of the sector uh, is of uh, uh, key, um, uh, key uh, concern. Uh, and uh, we totally understand uh, the need to 
uh, to also turn our minds as we are dealing with issues today to turn our mind about uh, how to ease those restrictions uh, going forward. Uh, and testing is certainly uh, an element, but how do we take into account vaccine uh, going forward? Um, I will finish by saying that um, uh, a, the, the second wave of, uh, of uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, is, uh, is leading to um, uh, rethinking of some of these measures. Uh, yeah, you would think that uh, by now we should be very much focusing on how do we reopen in a context of vaccine. Uh, but uh, but the, um, uh, the second wave and the situations in many uh, provinces, uh, even here in Ottawa, uh, is, um, is such that uh, uh, those, uh, we see those uh, measures being uh, in place for, uh, for, uh, for a while until uh, we make uh, further progress on, on vaccine. Uh, but happy to talk about some of these uh, uh, considerations with you uh, today. Perfect. Thanks, Bridget. Well, let's start with uh, some of the questions that we've had, and I appreciate uh, the comment uh, and, and your support that we've had over the time. So let's talk about PCR coming to Canada, because that's most recent, January 7th, that implementation. Some questions that have come out. Uh, the first is related to passengers that have uh, already experienced COVID and have since recovered. Some of the science says that, you know, you can continue to test positive for anywhere, you know, three to five months. So a concern of course is what relief is being contemplated for those passengers who don't present with symptoms, they have a, perhaps they've tested positive, but uh, mm -hmm. mirroring say what the US has done, the CDC, they've allowed for a doctor's note, if you will. So has there been any consideration? What is the update that PHAC has for Canadians who have recovered from COVID and perhaps continue to test positive? So uh, it's, uh, your question is very timely and this is something that has been raised um, uh, when the pre-departure testing came into, uh, uh, into force. And in fact, um, I know that the, the, uh, the OIC has been, uh, have already been signed and I can tell you that that's exactly one of the elements that uh, you would see. Uh, it should, it should, if not already public, it should become public. Uh, but certainly, um, in recognition of uh, of that uh, very issue, uh, the OIC now allow for for someone who has suffered from COVID uh, to provide a proof of test that has been taken uh, between uh, uh, 14, uh, 14 to ninety days uh, prior to uh, to. Um, uh, uh, departure. And so uh, we will be issuing guidance uh, to uh, airlines and to uh, CBSA uh, in terms of accepting a positive, uh, a positive test taken within that time frame uh, in lieu of a negative test. So perfect. That sounds great. Well, we look forward to that. So we'll stand by for that OIC. Uh, individuals who have the vaccine. Uh, any contemplation in this new OIC that if they've got the vaccine, do they require the PCR test? Yeah, so uh, if you have the vaccine, currently if you have the vaccine, you're still required to have a PCR test. Uh, we are not yet to the stage where 
Uh, there's still more data to be gathered around the vaccine. Uh, uh, so currently, uh, the approach is that uh, even if you have the vaccine, you have to have a PCR test. Yes. Okay. Then going to, we talked a little bit about uh, the new WHO guidance. So I'm going to just fast forward to a slide, but this one is related to uh, WHO guidance on PCR testing. And I wanted mm -hmm. to kind of see what, uh, I know this came out yesterday and in our pre-call, we, we talked a little bit about it, but what efforts are PHAC considering uh, as this guidance changes? How will we influence government to view this PCR testing component with this new change in mind? What, if anything, is being considered? So uh, unfortunately, I haven't even uh, taken note of that uh, guidance uh, yet. Um, I'll definitely uh, take a look at it and also talk to our, uh, our science, uh, science group uh, and looking at how we are interpreting uh, that guidance and how that guidance may uh, impact all the guidance that we have uh, internally. So, um, so I will take a look and can come back to you. And this is a guidance that is uh, talking about the PCR testing. I know that uh, uh, in um, uh, uh, in uh, the uh, uh, the U.S., for example, uh, they are not uh, for the pre-departure testing. They are uh, accepting uh, uh, antigen as well as uh, as well as uh, PCR. Uh, we haven't we haven't uh, made a decision to uh, align with the U.S. Uh, uh, that uh, for us we will continue to require the PCR. Uh, however, uh, we'll take a look at uh, the guidance. We always do in in other uh, in um, in every uh, instance. Uh, but I'm not uh, I'm not uh, prepared to talk to you about it. I'm, I wasn't even aware it came out. But no, and that's no problem. Yeah. It's it's timely. And you know, when I saw it yesterday, I thought, okay, well, I have to amend my my presentation. So for everyone on the line, you know, you take out your iPhone, your Android device, whatever, that QR code will take you directly to the WHO for that source material. There's a paragraph underneath that expands a little bit more, but uh, it's it's great. So maybe let's move to the finish line with two minutes remaining of your time, Brigitte. Uh, so the finish line, the question that I get, uh, and something that I think we should start contemplating is, how does PHAC view the finish line? In other words, what metrics, trends, or programs need to be in place in order for us to responsibly, um, let's say, take a step back from these testing requirements? Has there been a view to what that looks like crossing that finish line? Well, it, I would say um, hopefully the finish line, and when and uh, uh, when you mentioned the finish line. You're talking about uh, reopening to to uh, uh, to travel, uh, getting uh, rid of some of these um, uh, uh, stringent uh, measures, uh, the OICs. Uh, I think a big component of the finish line is the vaccine. Uh, and you know, um, uh, you you talk, you asked earlier about. Um, how are we going to take into account a vaccine? Do you, if you have a vaccine, do you need a, a test? And one of the components of that is uh, vaccine verification, uh, test verification, and, and what solution that we need to look at. So, so there is no question that uh, 
whether it's uh, here at FAC, but also working with colleagues at Transport, uh, um, uh, other departments like GAC, uh, uh, Global Affairs, uh, working with CBSA, uh, Immigration, that we are, we are also looking at what does that uh, finish line looks like and what are some of the, um, the elements that we need to start working on uh, and uh, and so and so what road testing play and what do road vaccination and one of those elements would be uh, how do you verify that information how do you accept it how do you make sure that uh, it is timely trusted information uh, to to um, uh, to ensure that uh, there are no delay uh, at the border. Uh, you know, when we put uh, in place the pre-departure testing right now, um, the onus is on the airline industry, uh, the boarding agent to actually verify that the person has, uh, has the, the, um, uh, the testing result. Uh, going forward in a contest where you have your back to normal volumes, uh, we have to find a, a different solution to verify people's uh, people's uh, test results to verify their uh, their um, uh, vaccine uh, status. Uh, so I, I, I think that uh, just yesterday having a, a meeting with uh, some uh, some folks on on potential solutions uh, looking at uh, what is uh, being discussed either, uh, within Ayata or um, uh, other forum in terms of uh, a solution to verify people's uh, uh, vaccine or testing. Um, I, the question comes often about um, what role, if you, at what point are we going to be moving away from a 14 day quarantine? Uh, as you know, in the, um, uh, is that me ringing or? <laughs> I think you're probably, uh, probably ringing. It's a Teams call, it sounds like. <laughs> okay. So, um, so uh, uh, a question often comes about um, how do we take into account um, uh, quarantine requirements, uh, length of quarantine, so uh, as, a, as, as well as an incentive to encourage uh, 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 travel. So that's also an element that we are looking at. Uh, the the uh, um, Alberta pilot uh, comes into, uh, into mind uh, in that context. Uh, so various uh, components. Uh, I think we are definitely, the finish line is not just uh, going back to normal. It's also uh, vaccine and testing are probably here for, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the long haul. Um, so. Okay. Now I know that you, uh, we talked about one thirty being a hard stop. Do you have time? Just maybe two minutes more. I know there are still some questions. I know that that's yeah, call came I through. Have, so. I have two minutes more. Two yeah. minutes. Okay. I'll take one um, member question and it kind of comes back to that point, but maybe it's a little bit like the quarantine measure, but the question ultimately comes down to why not pursue, uh, that, a test upon arrival and immediate quarantine. Um, you know, examples are brought up like it works in Calgary. So 
why not implement something like that as opposed to the PCR test requirement, which means that, you know, you could be stuck at your point of origin, wherever that may be across the globe. Why not consider that element of test upon your arrival, go into isolation and, and, you know, really build out that testing regime as we've talked about in the past. So maybe, maybe some insight there, and that'll be our last question. And then perhaps if you'll agree, can I send you some of these and something that I can give back to our members after the fact? Oh yes, uh, for sure. I'd be happy to uh, to uh, respond um, after the meeting. Um, I, I think I, I totally get your 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 question. I would say that uh, if you had asked me that question early December, um, I would say. Uh, that was likely the path that we were seriously looking into until the UK variant uh, came about. Um, and, and as you know, when the UK variant um, uh, came to the surface, there was uh, Transport Canada issued at no time. Uh, and uh, and uh, from a public health rationale, Continue to just having a no fly is not uh, is not uh, uh, doesn't really make sense, uh, but certainly we needed to find a way to mitigate the risk, uh, and one way of doing that was to, uh, requiring the pre departure testing. Mm -hmm. uh, we are looking uh, following carefully the uh, the impact. Uh, we are very much aware that. Uh, uh, for some countries, uh, there is a challenge in terms of meeting the requirement, uh, whether it's uh, the, the 72 hours or even having the capacity at all. So we continue to work with transport under their interim order uh, to look at uh, providing flexibility either for some countries or for people in transit to ensure that they have the sufficient time to get the tests and, and get to Canada. But we continue to, to assess uh, the measures uh, and make adjustments as, uh, as we go. Um, and, um, and testing, combination of testing and, uh, and quarantine, uh, reduced quarantine is definitely something that is on the table uh, that we will continue to, uh, uh, to work on. Perfect. Well, on that, on that note, I think that's the right optimistic note to end on that. We are very active, our industry, in participating with the Alberta Test Project. Uh, we are talking about it later. I know you'll have to drop, but whether it's Calgary or Edmonton, our, our industry is also participating. And we hope that the data set and, and some of the early data that's already come out is showing some positive signs. So we're hopeful that that'll continue. So with that, I wanted to thank you for the time that you've taken today. Uh, you know, technical issues are aside, that's, it's, it's fantastic to hear from you. And I appreciate also the willingness that the questions that we received, the dialogue that you and I will continue on after the fact, but certainly uh, the direct questions that our members have asked, I'll, I'll liaise with you to get the uh, the answer back and post it publicly and within our WhatsApp group. So, Brigitte, thank you for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks. Let's go back to this Happy New Year slide. So this was December 30th and the 31st. I get a call from Nick, uh, the DG of Transport Canada. And he asks me, hey, do you got some time? Got a, got a question, got, a, got a, uh, an update for you. And uh, this is where we came to learn that the government of Canada was contemplating this PCR testing requirement on January 7th. 
So January 7th rolls around, of course, you know, we were very quick, if you're an operator uh, and participating in our WhatsApp group, you saw very quickly that we took the note to say, hey, this is on the radar, this is coming. Uh, and, and a lot has transpired since then. So what I thought to do is talk a little bit about some of the frequently asked questions that have come up. What are some of the best practices we've identified, heard, et cetera. So thanks to our members uh, for the direct feedback, whether it was through WhatsApp, Merlin had put out questions on that. Uh, members had responded saying, hey, these are key questions. And so through the whole process of being first informed of the program and then having the opportunity to try to ask those questions, get the feedback, try to shape the program as best we could, uh, it was through your feedback that we were able to kind of get somewhere. So let's talk about day trips. This has come up uh, very clearly for our segment. It seemed initially that this was not contemplated. Uh, day trips, as we know, um, the test I've included in our WhatsApp group, the message formally from Nick, but that 72 hour testing requirement is still there. In other words, test before you leave the country if, if all you're doing is going to the United States or somewhere else across the globe and you're just coming back within that time frame. Uh, proper implementation timelines were a big, uh, big thing. You probably saw not only us talking about it, but all their aviation associations just talking about why the consultation period was effectively non-existent. It was just, here's the program, it's January 7th. So very much something that we've been working with TC on. Uh, people testing positive with the doctor's note. So we brought this up with Bridget. You heard the OIC. We're still waiting to kind of see this uh, framework. I think what's nice is seeing the CDC guidance. We're going to talk about that, but fundamentally, some of the differences, you know, they're requiring uh, uh, PCR or antigen tests. And one of the big benefits is they do have a provision uh, to permit somebody who has overcome COVID to still come into the country with a doctor's note, basically. Uh, so we think that will trend uh, in the right direction here in Canada. It should have happened sooner, frankly. Uh, but that's a direction we expect, and Bridget confirmed that um, it should be coming very soon. Crew exemptions, I don't have here on the slide, but the 6E from Teresa Tam, the, um, uh, the guidance that talked about how flight crew members are exempt from the PCR testing, and that includes also the training elements. So if you're coming back from FSI, CAE, wherever it is that you're conducting your training, that, uh, that you're exempt from that requirement. Questions on the lab, so that... Uh, still is ongoing. Uh, we, we, we didn't get to some of the questions, both in the chat that I'm seeing uh, folks had asked, but also accreditation on labs. That was very loosely defined. Know that that basically is still the case. Global Affairs has published for some countries a list, a pretty detailed list in some cases, of the approved centers. Um, one best practice that's come out, of course, is the what we call the recertification of uh, your PCR test. So we have heard from some operators where if you were operating, maybe it was uh, Barbados, something like that. Uh, and, you know, sure, they went to 96 hours from 72. But uh, this back and forth, there have been some cases where the recertification of your PCR test result uh, to, to meet that timeline uh, is, is a possibility. So this is something to think about. Um, Arrive can implementation, a question that came out uh, and one that uh, TC has said that uh, they're working on with PHAC, but we do expect that the Arrive can app, whether it's literally on your phone through the app or online, that eventually these questions will, will come up. But with all that said, with all this talk about what the US CDC is doing, 
and now this new OIC perhaps will get a little bit more, um, let's call it a favorable position, more, more realistic framework that recognizes this PCR element. And that's where I brought this up um, with Brigitte, this new WHO guidance. I mean, it came out yesterday. Now, if you haven't taken the link, I would suggest uh, one, you do that. Um, why? Because, you know, it talks a little bit about um, a PCR test not really being, so in traditional, at least in the media, PCR positive PCR test equals COVID. But yesterday, the guidance has changed now from the WHO. Uh, ho who knows why, but it's changed to now say, well, if you test positive and you don't present symptoms, you need to do another test. And then... What I haven't included here because the doc, I can't, I can't screen share it and put it all in one place that it's legible to you. So that's why I encourage you to go go to that QR code and follow the link. But it talks about more the, the science behind cycle threshold and how if you've got a low viral load, high cycle threshold is required in order to you in order for you to determine whether or not you're positive. But if you're not presenting with those symptoms, these are now the questions that WHO is asking. So all of this brings more weight and pressure. And you can bet that we're going to be asking more questions of the government in light of this new guidance. Uh, you know, what's the strength of PCR test? If you do get positive, if you're positive, but you're not presenting any symptoms, how's this going to influence the way things are um, viewed? So further complicating things is the messaging from both our prime minister and now following the uh, our new minister of transport, which we'll talk about. So we've talked about it. I think even before we started the call, I was looking at the WhatsApp group and uh, Simone from Sky Service had mentioned also just, you know, the prospect. I can tell you I've had a conversation directly with Nick. And uh, in the same way, why I told that story of New Year's Eve was the relationship that uh, that we've had the fortunate opportunity to build in terms of getting a an early look when we are able to get that very early look at what's coming out. And I can tell you at this point today, January 21st at 1.45, nothing is being contemplated. So um, I don't know that I think Simona mentioned something like uh, 50,000 people had canceled their plans. And perhaps that was the message they wanted to get across that, hey, we could change things overnight. So you better contemplate things. And, you know, all the unintended consequences that come with such a decision in terms of travel, et cetera. So that's, uh, that's something that we're keeping an eye on. This is the uh, new testing, USA testing. So January 26th, though, in some ways, you know, our implementation January 7th, um, you know, if you're talking about the day trips element, now that the US has this requirement, uh, the couple things that could trip you up is on the one hand, it's good that they've done this. So we're trying to get some alignment. The, the thing that could trip up operators is the fact that uh, in Canada, you recall that only a PCR test or RT lamp style test is permitted. In the United States, that's not the case. So I'm gonna go to that slide, but I wanna call out this again, this QR code. If you take out your iPhone, your Android device, whatever, this will take you to the CDC uh, page and you, there you'll find the attestation. We're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, but do take the time to, to check that out. So the questions, uh, you know, it came out already on WhatsApp, uh, private operators, uh, private flights and general aviation aircraft are included. This is from the CDC guidance. Uh, there was a question that came up um, and it kind of mirrors what we experienced with our, our uh, CBSA officers where, you know, somebody offered some interpretation of their result, but the guidance suggests very clearly that this is the case. 
um, aircraft crew members here, you can see uh, this, this vague language. We've talked about some of this, but crew members on official duty uh, are exempt uh, from this element. A verifiable, uh, verifiable test results. This is what we talked about. The thing that could trip you up, but let's imagine a scenario where I think very proactively, the United States, the CDC has enabled antigen testing. Uh, what's shocking, of course, in Canada is that uh, to date, the number of self-administered antigen tests that are available is zero. Um, that's a big problem. Uh, Abbott Labs has, for example, like a $5 test that I think it's the bills we're doing that had like 6,000 uh, fans come in and they were doing these tests. The your Governor Cuomo was just raging how, how great this is. This is an opportunity where we need to improve on. And this could trip you up if you think, wow, I'll just do an antigen test going to the United States and I'll use that test coming back home to Canada. That's where it'll catch you. So the US has, and I've included this here, the, the NAAT or antigen. That's what they define as viral test. Um, so take note of that. PCR is still, uh, if you're coming back to Canada, is that requirement. So unless and until things change, you're going to want to default to that PCR versus uh, the convenience of a rapid antigen test. Uh, a lot of work we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit more about the antigen element and some of the work we're undertaking with, in this case, GTAA, about trying to offer and pilot business aviation uh, with rapid antigen tests uh, to participate in these trials. Uh, but that's kind of the, uh, the flow with um, the US. I'm just taking a look to make sure the chat. I don't see anything. I'm seeing uh, some of the questions uh, from Kirk. And we'll talk about TC exemption letters and customs, etc. So I'll bring that up. Uh, let's go to that Alberta program with uh, 13 minutes. I want to respect I want to get definitely get the content through for for those that are taking the hour with us. If you've got a drop, totally understand. I just want to get through that content. So you get it before you leave. Uh, so the Alberta program. Um, I think uh, best in class, we are, we, we've been uh, liaising with Alberta Health um, for some time now. Uh, the message here, of course, is that Edmonton is now included in the, or will be, I should say that. It's contemplated February 2021. Uh, Edmonton International will be included in the uh, border pilot testing program. Uh, the real win to this program is, uh, and I mean, there's two stories. The, the win is, I can tell you that the federal government is looking at this provincial program and it's because of the leadership in Alberta that pushed this through and the willingness from the airports to, to, to kind of make this happen. Of course, they're, they're on side with it. But I can tell you that they are looking at, I think the exact count is 52,000 travelers. Once you reach that threshold, they have been talking about taking this program as the model for other provinces to uh, you know, pare down the quarantine requirement. So if you're not if you're not tuned into this program and what Alberta is doing at Calgary and Edmonton or soon to be Edmonton, uh, you're definitely going to want to stay tuned to it because this could be uh, really the blueprint for how we start to open things up. So with that said, uh, Edmonton here is just uh, we just received this yesterday. So I was in some conversations with the airport authority. It's going to mirror basically what Calgary does. Uh, I know that we've got some of our FBO partners that are in the uh, in the call with us today that that are going to participate like we've done in Calgary. Uh, the only limitation right now, as I understand it, um, the thing that we're going to have to kind of work around, it's like what we do in Calgary. 
The program is designed to work with the international flights that arrive at the airport. The problem right now is that there are not a lot of international flights that are arriving at Edmonton. So on the one hand, it's great to say that Edmonton is being included. The problem is that if you want to take advantage of this program, I know that uh, I think Burns on the line, I, I saw like if you're trying to get back to Edmonton and your arrival time doesn't line up with that program, uh, you're going to have a bit of a difficulty. You're going to probably want to go to Calgary because they've got more frequency of flights. Now, I can tell you in this program, CBSA is uh, going to make that uh, that heads up to the operator. So when you call and say, hey, we're planning to arrive on Monday at whatever time, and this is our pack, so yada, yada, yada. CBSA is going to say, well, hey, you're arriving uh, and you can't participate in that quarantine program, like heads up, and you're going to have to make a decision. Does that does that matter? Uh, if it does, you're probably going to have to make a decision uh, likely to go to Calgary. If it doesn't, well, you're going to land in, in Edmonton. You'll do your 14-day quarantine as we've been basically doing. But the steps, and I'm going to publish this after the fact, uh, they sent this to me just before the call, and I thought I'll just take a screenshot and add it in. But uh, we'll be working with the FBO partners uh, because in the end, as with Calgary, your passengers, once they arrive in Claire Customs, will need to take a vehicle over to the airport. Uh, I think they call it out here, yeah, park at P2 in the park A, walk in, do the test, walk out, and, and off you go. So this is the uh, Edmonton program and where it's at. Uh, Toronto, so you've probably seen in the news, uh, Toronto had a slide about uh, quarantine relief. The problem is that uh, it doesn't involve quarantine relief. So there's a, co a voluntary COVID uh, testing program taking place at the terminal. But uh, as you've probably seen us post in the past, that because it doesn't offer any quarantine relief and the fact that it's a voluntary program, the use case for our sector uh, isn't there. Now, I can tell you that we've had uh, quite a few calls with GTA about this. Uh, I mentioned earlier the prospect that GTA is looking at rap, uh, doing a, a pilot test. They started first with just their, or they're going to start with their employees, but we are trying to shoehorn in at the same time with a, a low cost is to do a rapid PCR test uh, in partnership with GTA. So in the event that you have difficulty, if you're a Toronto-based operator and you're going to the States or wherever it is that you need that test done, uh, that GTA could partner with that. Uh, the bigger thing is we're pushing on the antigen element. I really do think that um, there's a, a place there in Vancouver. Uh, WestJet's been doing rapid antigen tests with the airport authority. I think they had 300 people go through zero positives, and they were following up with PCR tests, the RT-PCR test, and they had no false negatives. So in other words, the antigen testing as it stands right now is, is, is working great in Vancouver, and hopefully that kind of foundation that we're building can, can implement in, in other areas. And the way I envision uh, an antigen test working, especially if we can get self-administered so you don't need to send it away. Uh, again, I'd point to Abbott Labs. You can see they got a little cardboard. It's no bigger than, than that, let's say. Uh, that kind of test is the model that we want to get to. And, and it's easy. It's transportable aboard the aircraft. And if we can get to a place where if this is still continuing, that, uh, that we can use that kind of system, that'll be of benefit to business aviation operators. So what's happening in Ottawa? The first, uh, we have a new Minister of Transport. <laughs> so in addition to rolling out PCR tests, Minister Garneau has, has left and gone to global affairs and uh, Minister Algabra is now the uh, uh, leading up the transport file. So here you're going to see uh, one of the benefits, I've said this and why the association participates on Twitter is that uh, it's a great way to find out what, uh, what our 
politicians are up to and what they're thinking. So here you're going to find that scan me QR code takes you directly to uh, his Twitter profile. He has been posting, um, you know, about the uh, prime minister's comments about travel, uh, uh, non-essential travel, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a point uh, that you, you may want to consider following and kind of getting uh, just up to date with what, uh, what they're thinking. So more on this. Uh, I want to talk about the mandate letters. Um, and, and this will be, you know, interesting for us. The mandate letters that the prime minister sent. Uh, so one of the changes that took place <laughs> again in the new year was that uh, new mandate letters were sent to uh, the ministers. I've pasted, there are three, but two here. Uh, and I wanted to highlight um, its importance. So what's unique is that now you've got the Minister of Economic Development in official languages, as well as the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance. There's language in here that now talks about aviation, tourism, uh, air sector, uh, regional infrastructure, all the elements. So we have, if you've looked in the past, we've submitted uh, the 2021 budget submission. We've got a new campaign, which we are going to introduce and with these new ministers to influence and their counterparts in the opposition parties to say, hey, we're talking about sustaining air infrastructure. Let's talk about airports. Let's talk about air navigation. Let's talk about business aviation, our needs of that. Let's make sure that airport costs don't get out of control. Let's make sure that Nav Canada can't raise rates again. Like the government needs to come through. So the QR code here takes you to the mandate letters themselves. So you can see others. Uh, this is the transport mandate letter. And again, it talks about uh, the air travel sector. Uh, and so it's, it's important because this feeds us into this campaign that, uh, that we, the association, are, go are, are going to undertake. And we need to, you know, the, the, the lesson that I've already taken with, uh, with government is that you've got to find the reason. Why, do I, why would I bring this up in this call? The reason is, if you're not listening to the language of the day, and in this case, it's the liberal government. If you are tuned into their frequency and use the language that they use, it's, it's sort of like a little bell that rings in their ear. If, if you're saying, hey, we wanna focus on regional air infrastructure, we wanna talk about uh, you know, freeing up the Canadian economy, uh, and we wanna talk about the manufacturers and business aviation and the training on the, the engines, all the economic output that our industry provides here in Canada. If we structure this the right way and we're visible in these places, uh, this is what starts to get that attention going. So we've got whether it's the deputy prime or deputy minister now uh, of finance and reaching out directly to him, uh, to the finance minister, to economic development, to transport, to uh, you know the the list. What we're doing here is finding the words that align with the message that they say they're going to undertake, and this is in an effort to ensure that our industry uh, can continue to prosper uh, or at least recover and build sustainably back uh, with, uh, with our air industry. So Nav Canada, as we move, I've got uh, four minutes left that I wanna make sure I get everything through here. Nav Canada, so if you haven't tuned into this, this is the, um, the list. I know that uh, there are some from Windsor that are on the line and, and those that already participated in the call with Nav Canada, I think Chartwright was there. There's a, a number of them, but whether you're at Windsor, Regina, Fort Mac, um, NAV is doing this uh, survey, Aeronautical Stakeholder Engagement Forum. Uh, the dates have passed, but the reason why I'm bringing this up to you is February 8th is the final for uh, submission. Now, I'll tell you that the CBAA has participated in all of these calls. I've been on every single one of them. Um, our message has been fairly simple, that airports 
like think think especially of let's let's just start first with Regina. Let's think about Fort McMurray. Uh, let's think about Windsor. But let's think about the economic value that these airports um, enable within those communities. And the key theme has been one, there is a minimum level of service. To go from a tower to an aerodrome advisory service means, as as we all know as operators, that the free, the free flow and efficient flow of IFR traffic into and out of that airport will be absolutely impacted if you move away from the tower service that are, that is in place today. So our, our first, our primary message has been, hey, these airports are critical to the infrastructure and economy in Canada. Therefore, they need this minimum level of service. We know all about, and we've shared the stories of, you know, everything from NAV can very simply say, hey, we're, we're doing this effort to save costs. Of course, you can't contemplate the costs that operators take on with increased uh, fuel burn, uh, payload reductions, perhaps, because you need to carry more fuel in the event that you're holding over Fort Mac to try to get in, because uh, it's an IFR day and nobody's canceling the IFR before getting down, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a carbon element. So we've been making that case. So what I encourage you to do, that really, there's two things here. First, if you operate to these airports, I mean, Windsor, the complex airspace structure, like all this stuff, if you operate to these airports, uh, consider making a submission on the 8th. We obviously, uh, through our participation, have on behalf of the industry. But if you're uh, concerned with that, and if your operations take you to those airports, absolutely participate. The second element is that, you know, fundamentally what it comes down to is that the government needs to recognize, I think, and I've pushed uh, NAV Canada both on our advisory. Uh, so I sit on the NAV Canada Advisory Council. We also, the CBAA has the opportunity to nominate, uh, in this case, David Wager, who represents the non-commercial users to NAV Canada's board. And our message has been, these airports that are critical to the infrastructure and economy in Canada need to be identified as minimum levels of service. And what needs to happen is that perhaps the federal government recognizes the same and says, hey, these airports do play a pretty uh, critical role. In Windsor's case, they're adding like a billion and a half of investment into the auto economy and all the new stuff that they're doing there. Uh, so this is the, the the tone. This is the language. This is what we're doing and what I recommend that uh, you operators consider as well. So uh, two slides left. Uh, definitely have uh, the, the entire team here at the association uh, <laughs> nose to the grindstone a lot underway. Um, but I think I wanted to take a moment to thank you all for uh, your participation, the feedback you provide, the ideas, the engagement. It happens on that WhatsApp. That's another plug for it. If you're an operator, uh, reach out, member support at cbaa.ca if you're not there. Uh, direct emails, direct phone calls to the team. These kinds of interactions ensure that we are on point with our messaging here in Ottawa and with the provincial governments as they contemplate different initiatives. Um, so thank you for, for taking the time. Uh, the last message here is about uh, this, this idea that in 2021, it's through your support. You know, our membership renewals are, are coming through and it's through your support. The idea is the input that uh, together we can uh, really build the case that our industry has a, a viable need and together we can influence the way government views our industry. And perhaps with COVID, what it'll teach us is that you, you will see the value because it's gonna take a long time for commercial service to return for these communities. And uh, as you all operate those flights and sell those aircraft and shares and all the associated elements that go with it, 
I think together we can make sure that the, uh, the foundations, when we build back, uh, we'll really build for a sustainable future for business aviation. So with that and being one minute late, I know for some of you, you got to drop. I'll certainly be available. I'll probably go through some of the questions right now. Uh, so I recognize if you've got a drop, thanks for taking the time. And if you've, uh, if you have the luxury of uh, a little bit more time, perhaps we can uh, stay around. I'll read through the chat and we'll take 15, 20 minutes or something to go through that. So thanks to each of you for joining. Kirk Grimes, PAX vaccination. Why do they still have to quarantine? Exactly, exactly right. We've, we've asked that question. Uh, you know, Bridget talked around uh, some of those points that, it's not currently under contemplation, but I think uh, the OIC that's coming changes afoot. I mean, it's this has to change, I think, with uh, what the US is doing and the attention they're paying to vaccinations and other countries across the globe where Canada is relative to them is another separate question, but we're absolutely pressing for the idea that uh, one, essential crew members, so as we've got that defined already, that uh, maybe there's a place to advance us those in the industry that are, have been deemed essential earlier in that vaccination profile, uh, as opposed to perhaps what we would say is near the end. So we'll, we'll definitely be focusing on those that have been uh, vaccinated and uh, won the PCR test removal, uh, and then what that means across the globe. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Alberta government pipework indicating packs of vaccination should be exempted from any testing courts. What is the plan? So Kirk, again, the question about Alberta government paperwork, that'd be something I'd have to follow up on. I haven't seen anything yet that says if somebody does have the vaccine that they're exempt from any testing plan. Um, PCR testing essential service workers. I think I'd bring that up, uh, CN. Um, that's an element too that needs to uh, really still come up. I think if those, there, there are a handful of operators that have had uh, very clear uh, letters, whether it's been issued by their provincial government, uh, perhaps by a minister themselves, uh, you know, your mileage may vary. This is not being consistent across the board, uh, but it would be the expectation that those have ha that have had that kind of letter uh, so defined in the case of CN, I think that would be the case. Uh, that uh, you should be exempt uh, from those elements. But like uh, like that WhatsApp story, the problem we always run into is uh, CBP. Although CBP is not, or CBP, CBSA is not checking uh, that element. It's something that we need to, to keep an eye on. So essential service workers are still a key. Um, are all the provincial governments aware of their rights to oppose the NAV Canada service reductions? So Raquel, I know that... Um, I guess I'll bring that up as a as a comment. I know that WestJet tried to, there was a case where WestJet opposed and they went to an arbitrator. Uh, and I don't know if this is the same point that you're trying to make, but I know WestJet tried to uh, oppose that arbitrator ruled that NAV Canada did in fact have the uh, ability to raise their rates and ruled in NAV's favor. So uh, WestJet protested, but the arbitrator ruled in NAV's favor. So the increase apparently goes through. So I'd... I'd uh, I take that as a comment. I don't know that, um, I know that. Um, <clears throat> sorry, if I can just further that. There's a number of sites that had been deemed, um, the remote and Northern sites that were deemed schedule A, they called them. And our understanding is that basically, uh, if NAVCAN uh, proposes changes, the provincial government in that province can oppose them 
And in that case, if they um, are basically rejected by the province, it has to go all the way up to the minister <clears throat> to still go ahead. Yeah. So we've been working in Manitoba because there's a number of our sites that they have proposed service cuts to that actually are identified in this Schedule A, uh, which has been uh, pretty elusive to acquire. We had been asking for that schedule for quite some time from NAV Canada, and we actually only got it from them this week. Okay, no, I'll definitely, yeah. And maybe if you wouldn't mind sending me that, Raquel, I'd like to follow up on that because whether it's through NCAC, I would like to follow up on it. Uh, so sure. maybe there is maybe there is some sure. place uh, we can mm -hmm. even educate perhaps the provincial governments on that, if that's the case. So I'd love to to connect on that. So thanks right, for making the comment. We were only given the ones for Manitoba and I'll give you an example is uh, Churchill, for example. Um, you know, that's on their big hit list right now. And uh, so we actually have a meeting with our deputy minister uh, next week to uh, brief them on all of this. So Great. I'll give that to you, yeah. That's perfect. Thank you. No, that's the kind of work and effort I think that's required with NAV because, uh, you know, it can't always, I mean, in, in many ways, you know, I think if we, if we're, you know, if we're thinking of how this all works, you know, it can't just be that it's NAV versus operators all the time. The government has got to make that recognition. Like we know that the trend, the services transition, NAV's responsible for this stuff. But for, you know, as what I've defined it with the association is these these critical uh, infrastructure assets that are that are are responsible for the economic output of Canadians. I mean, imagine like to me, it's ludicrous in the case of Regina. You know, you've got a provincial capital contemplating going from tower service to aerodrome advisory, and no doubt that flight service is going to be uh, they're going to be professionals. They're going to try to do the best that they can. The functional problem is is the efficient flow of aircraft into and out of that airport. And I just don't see, I don't see a vision of a provincial capital and you're out there holding around. Like, I mean, I spent a lot of time in my early days flying through Sioux Lookout and, and uh, Ontario's north. And the, uh, the difficult element of trying to get in stacked IFR holds, you know, waiting for somebody to cancel IFR on an IFR day. The, you know, if you're on the ground and you need to de-ice and up oh, aircraft inbound, you got to wait. Uh, well, now you got to go back and respray. Like all of that inefficiency uh, is 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 inappropriate for these critical assets, um, and there needs to be some work on that. So that's a great comment, Raquel. Um, DGR, of course, I don't see the name, but uh, TC Transportation Dangerous Goods pushing for 604 operators to have formal training and certification, even though operator is not transporting TG. So that's. Definitely something that uh, we'll take a look back. I know Merlin is on the line, but uh, that is the craze that 604 operators uh, don't have that ability. So I'll have to take that back. We it's already gone in. So, say that again, Merlin. Can you speak to that? It's already been sent to transport. This comes up every 10, 12, 15 months. Last time was January. I got Transport Canada Civil Aviation to confirm we're not involved. So we're doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for making that case, Merlin. Um, keeping up to date on all the rapid changes is challenging. Is there any discussion around passenger self isolating when entering the USA? That is the case that uh, some of the states uh, and and maybe that what I'll do is a, a commitment there is um, with our NBAA counterparts. You know, we uh, got a great relationship with Doug Carr, uh, who leads up 
a lot of that element. I know Scotty's on the line, uh, not only one of our board members, but also <clears throat> interfaces directly with NBAA on a lot of issues. So we'll we'll put out a um, probably their guidance, the NBAA guidance on some of the states, whether it's Hawaii, New York State, California. You know, a lot of that's changing, and with the new administration in place. Uh, what programs do they change? How does that impact things? But I hear you. Like, I mean, every minute of the day, it seems like there's like, oh, new IO, new OIC. Like, and, and I, I didn't even talk about the UK in today's session. Like, it was just, how, how do we talk about the UK and some of the travel bans? How do you talk about KLM now and Intercontinental and where things are going with that? Uh, I tried to distill it down to those PCR elements. I think that WHO guidance is going to be key. Uh, you're going to hear us pushing back on that. I think that's that's a big change with WHO. For all the things that the media have said about WHO, hearing that, seeing that will likely change the way uh, people view positive results with uh, PCR test. And the minute that sort of floodgate opens, if, if there's questions to cycle thresholds, PCR tests, well, then all this other stuff we're doing about PCR testing may or may not change, but we can bet that we'll be talking about it uh, for sure. Um, and Dan's comments. So that's all the, the, the comments and questions I've received in the chat. So I guess I'll leave it open to see um, the team is available. Everyone's right now on mute. I see Dave Smith. Uh, Dave was one of the operators in Edmonton that we talked about uh, having that relationship with the airport authority. So as they roll out that uh, uh, border pilot project to Dave and the team at the FBO at Signature there, they'll uh, they'll be on point with that. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you for a, a bit to see if there's any uh, voice questions that come up. Hi, Anthony, it's Megan. Hey, Megan, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good. Mm, so I know there's a couple guys that I've been emailing and texting about Hawaii. Um, so I had got an email from the FBO in, in Hawaii yesterday saying that with this new CDC regulations starting on uh, Tuesday, whether we're going to see any change in, sorry, my phone. No problem. Um, is um, whether we're gonna see any change in the testing sort of situation. Um, and they came back and said, yeah, you, you're able to use all of the Air Canada and WestJet partners. Hmm. But I, 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 I hesitate. I very much hesitate. And Bill Fisher, who's probably on the line, knows we've been chatting and he's laughing right now. Um, we don't trust that. So I want someone, Scott, Harold, somebody to verify this information before anyone goes and tries to do it. Um, because if we, I don't, no one wants to be a big guinea pig, right? Absolutely. So well, if can have somebody try and verify the information with the government, they're, they're saying that, that the website will be updated, but I beg to differ until I actually see it. Yeah, that's why <clears throat> I agree. So I'll, I'll definitely uh, commit to getting that back. I know we've had, uh, Doug and I've, uh, crossed paths sort of a number of times over this last little bit. Uh, I will try to find out. I don't know, Scotty, I know you're, I think he's still in the line. I don't see on his participant list. Scotty, do you have an update there? I know you've been also talking to some of the folks in Hawaii. If he's not there. He might be doing multiple things. 
he's usually got three things going on at the same time. Um, well, you know what they yeah, say about multitasking. <laughs> yeah, he is the, the king of multitasking. Um, so yeah, so we can um, sort of put that back on the on one of the lists. I know that everything else is sort of taken precedent of what's going on, but um, you know we're getting you know with Tuesday's changes to me you need a, a test to go into the states whether it be hawaii or not mm -hmm. so you know it can't just be westjet and air canada passengers now um you know the websites for some of these testing partners actually say you need a ticket with westjet or air canada before they will test you yeah. so now if you know to me it shouldn't matter should a, a negative test is a negative test whether you swim there you take a boat there uh, you know, whatever. Well, and that's the thing that I think that you're, you're spot on is that the CDC guidance, even, uh, they make no reference to, to labs. Like there, there's still some, some area there. It needs to be a viral test as we've talked about so that NAAT or antigen, but, uh, that's really the extent of it. So I think the, the positive element is that having that in place will likely, I mean, it makes every, at least the state's jobs easier to align with what the federal government is doing. And, mm -hmm. With yesterday's transition, I I will bet that more clarity will be provided to that CDC guidance about how you will enter or and exit the United States with uh, mm -hmm. with COVID around. So that for sure is going to be uh, over the next week and a half. A, a I just knew it was you know it was the governor of Hawaii who you know was making those you know even before all of this um, other stuff sort of happened, and the governor wasn't it wasn't ever laid out that it didn't matter how you got there. It, you could use these testing partners because you know nobody ever said yes or no no one ever made that clear so nobody was willing to be a guinea pig and spend that much money going to hawaii and then yeah. you know yeah <laughs> 14 quarantine you know just in case well no that's the not the point right unless so. it was like i mean I'll, I'll make one joke before going to dave smith about it but um Unless it's like the Canadian program where if their federal facility is like some Marriott and you're on the ocean somewhere, well, it's not an, it's not necessarily a negative thing, but we'll. Oh no, I know we joke. We all joke in the, in this business is that it doesn't, doesn't seem like a negative thing when you're sitting by your pool, yeah. uh, you know, 14 day quarantining instead of your you know, house in, in snowy Alberta or wherever, but yeah. Um, but that's no, we'll, we'll anyway, definitely take that's that my, that's my two cents. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. So, Dave, over to you. I've see they got uh, you've got a hand up. All right, Roger that. Um, the point I was going to make is about Hawaii. We sent a charter over there recently, where the crew experimented with the process of applying. This is from Evanston, of course. Uh, applying for permission to get a test under the tested partners regime. Uh, they went onto the website and were able to register as an other airline and use the registration of the aircraft as the flight number, got processed to apply or uh, got a process for a test. They got a, an invitation for tests in the paperwork. They did the test, presented the results when they got to Hawaii. Uh, this was on the cruise side, by the way, we didn't want to involve the passengers in this. Uh, and. Uh, Customs and Border Protection in the States accepted that and they were given all clear, no quarantine required based on that test. So it, I'm not sure if that's going to work in BC or not, but it, it worked for us in Edmonton. 
That's a great uh, point. Yeah, and it's unwilling to play the guinea pig thing, but we had the crew exemption in place anyway. But uh, the biggest resistance we got was actually from the FBO staff. The FBO staff started stomping their feet on this. So we said, whoa, 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 you're no authority here. You're a service provider. Back off. Mm-hmm. So that's the experience we had with that. Uh, since then, we haven't had another trip back to Hawaii. Uh, and so we haven't pressed a test on that. But that might be an option that you might want to pursue uh, for anybody trying to get to Hawaii. Thanks, Dave. You know, in fact, I it's interesting that they got such a quick response. I had uh, sent to Hawaii, like I applied to be like, well, if oh, we'll be a testing provider, like treat us like WestJet or Canada, treat CBAA the same way. Uh, and I said, we'll just mirror, <laughs> my thought was as I'd go through the application, well, we'll just mirror whatever uh, Air Canada and WestJet done. In other words, Shoppers, Drug Mart, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the labs are across the country. Uh, but I got a response back saying, hey, when we're ready, we'll open it up. But interesting that you've got, uh, I got a story where they were able to get through. So thanks for sharing that. That's something that we'll, we'll continue to press on. And, and perhaps there's a place for operators to continue the same. I'll send you an email with all of the specific details for the process. I had my uh, chief pilot put that together for us. Fantastic. Thanks, Dave. Perfect. Great. Okay. I don't Kathy, see uh, it's Jacqueline Bailey here. Can I just ask a quick question? Absolutely. Um, okay. We, uh, so our crews, much the same as, you know, active deadheading crews. Um, I saw that there was a question in the chat recently about uh, CBAA template letter uh, stating the non-requirement uh, as a crew member, active crew member, uh, having to A, have a COVID test and or B, having to isolate. Um, we've had a number of issues with deadheading crew members trying to board commercial aircraft when deadheading and actually being um, denied boarding. So I had a lengthy conversation with a CBA uh, agent the other day. Um, basically, uh, I stay, I, after my conversation with them, he sent me an email back confirming that we actually did not need to A, have a COVID test and B, have to uh, quarantine. However, we don't have anything in writing other than my email confirmation from this agent. Um, I did state, you know, ask, after recently reviewing the request and requirement for a COVID-19 test prior to entry into Canada while on business-related duty, quote-unquote deadheading active crew, I'm seeking some clarity from our CBSA. So I guess my question is, is there anything, uh, I know that some operators do have a template letter that they are giving their crews um, for exemption. And I know I do have exemption letters, you know, from some of the commercial carriers as well, but do we actually have anything from a business from CBAA or, or anything that actually shows exemption? So we have shared, uh, TC had created, I'm gonna see if I can find it while we're on the line, Jacqueline, but, uh, and then maybe I'll <clears throat> commit to sending it after the fact. I mean. We definitely have a template letter that TC created that uh, that even Air Canada was using. I've been chatting with uh, Jim Chung, their um, medical officer, and uh, let me see if I is can. Is that the one that states, uh, confirms uh, their crew members are deemed essential workers by the government of Canada as such are exempt from requirements, blah, blah, blah? Yes. And we have also then, so the a lot of the best practices include like operators carrying 
the uh, Section 6E, the exemption that Teresa Tam signed that, that defines crew as being exempt as well. So we carry, and the, the recommendation, of course, is to carry a letter from your employer that's saying, ha, you know, Anthony Nareko is engaged in the following activity as a crew member for XYZ Corp. Uh, then we have the letter from the template letter that uh, TC created. Then there's also the conversation about the 6E that Teresa Tam so if anything, over-preparing has been where we've we've achieved some of that success and some of the operators have shared the same story. But I think your mileage may vary. Some have run into, I, it, it seems to me that the issue has uh, has slowly settled itself. I think I haven't- well, Some I operators, unfortunately, are still asking and requiring for this, which okay. you know is creating some havoc for, for the crews. So- I mean, I just thought if there's something, if there's, you know, a letterhead or, you know, a template that is, you know, can be issued sort of straight across the board, CBAA, that would be great. Yeah, I'll, I'll, do, I'll actually put that out then as, um, as a sort of like a did you know kind of social media post. I'll put it on LinkedIn, I'll put it on Twitter, we'll send it to our membership yeah. next uh, thing. Okay. Because it'll list it'll list the attachments and then some of the recommendation, the best practices some of the operators have followed. I mean, we've got everything from. Uh, I'll include the recommendation about the IBAC air crew card, which you can acquire if you're a member. Um, you know, this is again trying to demonstrate. I mean, wear your lanyards, wear your uniform, all these things. I mean, it uh, at least for yeah. agents. You know, if you look like a crew member, they'll treat you as a crew member, whether it's cabin safety pilots, etc. Uh, so definitely, we'll put that out. Perfect. That's great. Thanks very much. No problem. Um, I'm seeing in the chat, would the association be willing to make up a COVID checklist for Canada, USA to Canada for operators? This would be a valuable document, especially for operators who have not flown to USA. We'd absolutely be doing that. So uh, the way I'd frame it, let me take the time to think about the best way to frame up how the regs change. One of the One of the challenges in putting these things out there is, of course, uh, in our quest to provide the latest information, one of the things that may change, of course, is that, you know, I can't keep an eye on all the states and, and sort of the, the rules they change. So what we will do is perhaps provide, as we've done with NAV Canada, one of the reasons why, in this case, Merlin shares the NAV Canada report is that they, they link to all the source material as well. And uh, I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll take this back with NBAA and say, what uh, what co-branded links or what links can we provide that just allow you to go into one place to check up? Hey, I want to go from uh, Canada and I want to go to Florida. Uh, what is Florida's rules? Uh, what's best practices? We can absolutely do that. Uh, but that's sometimes the trepidation on putting stuff out there is we don't want to put you in a place where, well, if the CBAA said... Uh, that kind of thing. We want always, even in the links that we share, that's why when you see it on our presentations, I include always the source material so that you can take a copy of it for your reference, but a great point. Um, although I don't have your name, it's from iPhone, but thanks iPhone for the question. We'll, uh, we'll definitely do that. Hearing nothing, 55 people, everybody's, uh, everybody's good. With that said, uh, we'll, Thank you again for taking the time. We have recorded this session. I will endeavor to get the information back from PHAC uh, for the outstanding questions that were related. Uh, in addition, that OIC letter that's gonna come out. Uh, uh, great to hear that there is some contemplation for the PCR testing and some of that, uh, let's call it flexibility. Uh, and Raquel, I appreciate you making the comment about NAV and the provinces because uh, that's important stuff. So 
thanks to you all for joining and uh, we'll be chatting again soon.